I'll be um, the demon and you guys exercise me. <clears throat> hey, the, don't, uh, don't do that. Get out of there. Stop that. Here's some holy diet coke. Hey guys. Hello. Welcome back to the Takes It Took a Movie podcast. If you're new here, we go through a film and we go through its Mm -hmm. production. We talk about how kooky it is sometimes and we talk about its impact. And today on the docket, we have The Exorcist. But before we get into that, we like to talk about movies we've seen. Moving right along. Uh, Moving right along. But we like to talk about movies we've seen recently uh, that are not related to The Exorcist. So um, just you know, movie chat. So uh, Stefan, what have you seen recently? Um, well, it's Halloween. Well, that's not Halloween. It's October. October is the month of Halloween. Just quick rock fact for you. So we've that's been watching a rock fact. <laughs> so we've been watching a lot of spooky ooky movies. And uh, one that I watched with Mariah is called Bram Stoker's Dracula, or as I call it, Bram Stroker's Dracula, because this movie is pumped full of sexual and erotic electricity. If you can believe it, there is at least a two-second shot of Keanu Reeves getting his nipple licked by vampire ladies, and that's just the half of it. But besides that, this movie was directed by Coppola, and he does a lot of very fun visual tricks in this movie. There's a lot of really cool, like, shadows where it'll be, like, Dracula's in the foreground talking, and then his shadow will be in the background, like, doing something on its own. But it's not CG. It's all, like, I don't know how they achieve it. I'm assuming it's a lot of, you know, trickery. In one, it looks like there's just a guy behind, like, a... uh, tarp or something and then they're shining the like shadow. rear projection oh, like yeah. a rear projection yeah. kind of thing but they've got a lot of fun shadow work a lot of fun just like in camera effects Ooh, that sounds so fun. if you like that. that kind of stuff i recommend it it's also like a kooky movie so if you kind of like to watch a movie it is and wild go, whoa this is that movie very crazy one minute you're like that's a cool effect and the next minute you're like oh dracula's a werewolf give it a, give it a watch if you want a good time i will who's next um, I'm going to talk about a movie that we all watched together in the theaters, which is Haunting in Venice. Paw Patrol. No, we watched Haunting in Venice, which is the latest installment of the Poirot series directed by Kenneth Branagh. And I'm just a huge Hercule Poirot fan. I love the original Murder on the Orient Express, which we probably will be covering mm. sometime very soon in the new yes. year. And um, I thought it was fun. I thought it was better than Death on the Nile. And I think it was spooky. The cinematography was gorgeous. It was kind of what I expected. It was really um, gorgeous when the camera was strapped to his chest and he was <laughs> yeah. like having a fever. Yeah. Um, but I thought they did a good job and uh, it was a good time. Spoiler alert, he's the murderer. <gasps> Spoiler alert, um, be wary of seagulls. There's no such thing as a seagull. They're just gulls. Damn! <laughs> All right, Miles, what have you seen? I watched the new hit Eh, it's not a hit film. <laughs> I watched the new movie, The Creator. Oh, it's a slap film? It's a slap film. Or is it Open more of palm. like a more a tap, a tap yeah. film? Tap film. I don't know who directed it or any of that nonsense. <laughs> I do know 
Who needs names? Visually, for the most part, it was very good. The story was, in my opinion, a little lacking, a little silly at parts. Mm. But if you want to watch like the future Vietnam War, then give it a mm. give it a shot. And uh, I, I think the the way you could sum this movie up by going, hey, hey, did you did, look at the VFX? We made part of their head go away. Hey, do you want to see it again? Here it is again. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up that segment. Fuck so, me. Uh, fuck me. Fuck me. Okay. <laughs> Guys, buckle no, up. It's, it's topical. Because we have one hell of an episode to get into today. Hell? We are talking hell? about. <gasps> we are talking about the 1973 film The Exorcist, directed by William Friedkin. Written and produced by William Peter Blatty. And like we did in the last episode, I've written out the summary, divided it in two, and given it to the boys. So they're going to read it for the first time as they go through it. Before we jump in, I was just going to say, it's a good thing that my Blatty isn't full. (laughs) Start to read with your eyeballs. I'm going to read with my eyeballs. We meet Chris McNeil, a Hollywood actress who is acting in a film directed by Burke Dennings, a very lonely and sometimes very drunk man. He also, oh, we also meet her daughter, Reagan, 12, and a few servants. And then uh, Mariah put in parentheses, fuck the rich. Simultaneously, Whoa. we have Father Damien Karras, a psychologist priest, priest first and then psychologist, at Georgetown University, who has a mother who is losing her touch with reality and then fucking dies. Rip it, Rony. Yeah. Then Burke Dennings mysteriously kicks the bucket by tumbling down a flight of stairs, and his head twists 180 degrees around. Uh, Lieutenant Kinderman investigates and is suspicious as hell that something is afoot. Watson. I don't think I said that in the right <laughs> That's fine. cadence. That's fine. <laughs> Watson? It was just a Sherlock Holmes yeah, reference, yeah. that's all it was. <laughs> One day, Reagan returns her... Re- Jesus Christ. One day, Reagan mm. introduces her mother to Captain Howdy, the demon she plays the Huiji with, which is never a good idea, and she starts acting sussy baka. I genuinely didn't think you had it in you. <laughs> wow. I didn't think you would ever she write sussy baka. Sussy baka. Sussy means suspicious. And baka means idiot. In, in what? Japanese. Yeah. Her mom, Chris, hosts a party with her friends when Reagan appears and tells one of the partygoers he's going to die before she pees on the ground and marks her territory. Mm-hmm. Thinking it's a mental thing, Chris takes Reagan to every doctor possible and they do a number of medical tests, which looks like they suck, which uh, I had Isa tell me to close my eyes for the spinal tap part because it. You didn't watch it? I don't like needles. So. It, yeah, that is rough. It, it is and the worst part. We'll get yeah. into the audience's reaction specifically to that part. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually the doctor goes, hey, ever heard of an exorcist? Now, one of Chris's friends had mentioned Father Karras before. So they meet and she proposes the exorcism, not marriage. Karras is hesitant because he doesn't fully believe it yet. But after a crucifix incident, yeesh, Yeeting her mom across the room, Reagan speaking in reverse English, opening drawers, and scaring Karis, he's convinced. The church approves the exorcism, but requires that Father Marin, OG Demon Slayer 2000, 
I wish that was a Doom reference, but I don't think it is. How do you know? You are a gamer. You I are forgot a gamer. you're a gamer. Thank you. But anyways, uh, Father Marin, head, he's going to head the process, and Karis will accompany to assist the exorcism. Meanwhile, Reagan's turning her head 360 degrees, making her bed shake, and looking rough with a capital R. <laughs> the two priests go through rounds of reading the Bible and telling her the power of Christ compels you in, like, negative 20 degree weather in reagan's room this sounds a lot like when i went to sunday school eventually uh, it gets... i can't even tell if that's a stefan bit <laughs> that's, or just stephen. Bit. that's just stefan that's just stefan i did go to sunday school <laughs> and sometimes it was negative 20 degrees yeah. in alaska but not in the room mm-hmm. anyway yeah that was me just saying what i think uh, mariah would say eventually it gets to karis and he has to step out when reagan starts a ventriloquism act and is the voice of his deceased mother but left alone, she is too powerful and kills Marin. Rest in peace to the OG Demon Slayer 2000. So Karis comes back in, smacks her around, goads the devil into possessing him. Then he throws himself out the window to rid the beast. Then everything's back to normal, the end. Woo! That's the exorcist. Thank you, boys. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Don't live above stairs. Correct. Okay, so now getting into it. The Exorcist movie is based on The Exorcist book, which was an extremely popular novel by the same name that was published in 1971, Mm -hmm. written by William Peter Blatty. Mm -hmm. And the book is based on an experience with my uncle. Um, It was inspired by... Dropped that early on. Yeah. It was inspired by a 1949 demonic possession an exorcism that Blatty had heard about while he was attending Georgetown University in 1950. He was also inspired by Rosemary's Baby, and he liked it, but he felt like he could do a better ending than Rowan Polanski. And so Mm. he was like, "Uh, let me add it. And what's interesting is that he was actually more of a comic writer at this time, and his agent heavily persuaded him to write anything else besides this. What comics did he do? Uh, no, like a comedic writer. Comedic. Sorry, not like oh. a writer. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> I believe he Calvin and Hobbes. You ever heard of it? I yeah. believe he helped with the Pink Panther series. I think. Anyway. Oh, very comic. Um, but anyway, he worked on this for a really long time. He got an advance, took some uppers, and he started writing sixteen hours mm. a day. And uh, it eventually became that's- a bestseller that was. At the top of the bestseller list for 57 weeks, and 17 of those weeks was at number one. I got to get my hand on these uppers, man. I don't yeah. know where they're handing them out. It didn't start off as a bestseller, though, with people kind of uncomfortable with this contents until Blatty appeared on the Dick Cavett show, and he had a very good interview, and audiences so the, the loved what him. Show? Dick Cavett? You got to prime us before you say those kind of things. <laughs> Initially, he pictured it more, the the novel is more in like a court setting, but eventually it kind of just kept getting darker and darker. And we have, you know, the unsettling scenes R- involving a crucifix. A court setting? Yeah, I think like it was. Like a courtroom? Yeah. Like Are they, they put the demon on trial? Like 12 angry <laughs> men? Um, You know what? I couldn't find a whole lot on what <laughs> this version would have looked like. 12 possessed men. <laughs> uh, Your Honor, my client pleads... Nuh-uh. Anyway, so... Not guilty. So Father Marin was based on the British archaeologist Gerald Lancaster Harding, who Blatty had met in Beirut when he was working for the U.S. Information Agency. 
And if you notice, it's mentioned once in the movie that Father Marin's first name is Lancaster, so clearly inspired by that. Sure. He's also based on Pierre Teilhard de Chardon. Oh, that bastard. Who was a theologian and also a trained archaeologist who helped on numerous notable digs. Man really loves archaeology. Yeah. Harrison Ford. It belongs in a museum. It's also thought that he based the character of Christmas of Chris McNeil on Shirley MacLaine, who was his neighbor. And I guess people also think that, which first of all, he's kind of said that he did that, but also McNeil and MacLaine, if you like kind of fuck with the letters, you get that. And apparently some of the dialogue in the movie is like things that she had actually said in previous conversations with him. Um, Now, I unfortunately, I didn't have time to read the book because I'm busy. I'm sorry. I'm in grad school, whatever. So sounds like crucify me. You need to step down. But I did find sources that I'll be linking that kind of describe the biggest differences in the novel and the film. And I'm just going to kind of hurry over these. For the most part, it's just things that are mentioned in passing that obviously they delve into a lot more in the book. So if you remember, there's a priest who turns and he sees a statue that's been desecrated. And Lieutenant mm-hmm. Kinderman kind of suggested Father Marin that it might be um, a black mass ceremony. And that's the only mention of it. However, in the book, there's a lot more of mm-hmm. these kind of desecrations on statues. And Kinderman actually suspects that it's Father Karras who's doing it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if you remember, Reagan does art and she does like these kind of <laughs> shitty sculptures. Mm-hmm. And the way that they realize it's her doing it is like the paint matches. Wait, oh. So, because they hardly talk about it in the movie, is it implied that she did that, or is it just an unrelated event? You know, if she... Because how... At what point did that happen? It's just, like, the paints and, like, the claim match what she was using, so... Like, but in the movie, is, is this... No. Same? Okay, okay. No, in the book. Because well, okay. in the movie, the investigator doesn't do a whole lot. No, and he does have a bigger role <laughs> no, in the book. No, he just asks people for autographs. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you could have removed him from the movie. Nothing would have changed. Um... Another thing is that Reagan initially says she's talking with Captain Howdy with the Ouija board. They just kind of move on from that. But in the book, it clarifies that her father's name is Howard. And so for a lot of the time when they think that it's, you know, a Mm. mental thing, they think she's coping with her parents' divorce by making her father this Captain Howdy Howdy. like it's Howard. Um, Uh, It also, yeah. Whenever you say Howdy, we all have to say Howdy. Also, her father is not super present in the book or the film, obviously, but they do kind of delve into why they got a divorce and it was because when chris had reagan the newspapers focused on those two and not really the father and he just was kind of left out of the limelight and it just affected their relationship my my rich famous wife isn't i'm not as rich and famous as my famous actor wife i'm gonna go divorce fuck you i mean it probably puts a strain on the relationship though what was he is he an actor i don't i don't know they do that in uh, crazy rich asians don't they one of the couples. One of the couples like, is like, that guy dropped the ball. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> anyway, I think the biggest difference from the book to the movie is that Blatty left the book extremely ambiguous if Reagan was actually possessed by a demon or not. Oh, um, it's kind of ambiguous in the movie too, I think. Yeah, except for the part uh, at the end when she stops being possessed. Um, but the book... Take that part it, out. I swear to God. I, I want it gone. I want it gone. Uh, but yeah, he kind of left it up to the reader to decide if it really was like a mental thing, if it was just her coping with divorce or if she was actually possessed. But clearly in the movie, they make it pretty obvious that she 100% she, is possessed. I also like to leave it up to my friends and family to decide if it's a mental thing. 
<laughs> um, in the book, well, real quick, real yeah. Quick. In the from your research, yeah. In the book, mm-hmm. does it state uh, whether or not her face gets hella messed up? I believe they adapted that for the movie. I see. Mm. Okay. Um, they were. They were. I'll talk about it in a second, but I can. I can answer that now. Um, they were doing all these makeup tests, and they were trying to figure out how to like do it. And so they came up with the idea that Reagan was hurting herself. Yeah. And so then the the scratches become kind of gangrenous, and that mm-hmm. was for the movie. I see. That okay. was that was what I assumed was happening. I was like, oh, she's probably like scratching her face or something. And yeah. Then her eyes change color, and that's not something you can just do. Mm, that happens if you drink a lot of orange juice. Really? Yeah, happened to my buddy Eric once. Is this a bit? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I've never known an Eric in my life. <laughs> um, also, the book is even more explicit. Oh. Yeah, so Reagan mm. commits like so, sexually explicit wh- acts in front of the guests at the party. She doesn't just like pee. She does mm. more. Also, the sites that I found that go through these don't actually say like the language that's worse or like the acts that are worse. They're just like, I don't know, read it. Oh, they're too scared to tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of Kinderman, who again has a relatively minor role in the film, him and Father Karras actually become good friends and talk cinema. They watch a sunset together in the book. Mm. Just like bros being bros. Romance. Smooch. They do a little kissing. Maybe you just have to read the book mm. to find out. I need a exorcist fanfic. They already, already exist, my dude. Already done. Hell. I I mean I wouldn't know, but I <laughs> Miles, are you looking it up right now? No, no. In terms of characters that were kind of minimized for the movie, um, Sharon, who is Chris's assistant. Oh, Miles just got really wide eyes. You know what? I don't want to know. No, we'll save it for it's... after. Anyway, Chris's assistant Sharon had a much larger role in the book. Um. And she actually, like, helps with the exorcism in the book, which is interesting. Mm. I don't know if you remember Willie and Carl, who are the elderly couple who help Chris. Um, well, in the book, again, they have a bigger part. Kinderman actually suspects Carl of oh, Carl, knowing man. more about Brooke Denning's death than he, like, lets on. And he follows him. And it's revealed that he has a daughter. Well, it's, it's also Willie's daughter. But Willie thinks that her daughter has died. But it's she's like a drug addict, and Carl Ooh. goes and like helps her when he can. Okay. The process to get approval from the Catholic Church for the exorcism is like a lot longer, um, and it shows Kara's like going through documents mm. and stuff. Similarly, the book also spends a lot more times in like doctor offices and stuff like that, which in the movie it kind of goes through it just I don't know relatively quickly. Except Friedkin really likes those long shots of the procedures. Yeah. And then lastly, Kinderman had a. Again, a larger role. And he had a goofier personality, which people liken to Columbo, <laughs> which both came out in 1971. And mm. in fact, Blatty was convinced that Columbo was copied after Kinderman. And he <laughs> wanted to do, like write a series following Kinderman, but ditched it when Columbo came out. And Columbo writers think Blatty based Kinderman off Columbo. <laughs> and oh, yeah. so for the film, they watered down his personality Instead of him being more like Columbo because Columbo had already existed. Um, they didn't want people to think they were copying him. Mm. So Only one of them has a glass eye. Correct. Is it Columbo? <laughs> it yeah, is. Yeah, good work, Miles. You get one star on the board. Yay. Help Miles reach all five stars. When you get all five stars, you get a swift kick in the nuts. <laughs> we got to get to five stars <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, okay, so that's kind of a summary of like the difference between the book and the movie. Again, I didn't actually read the book, so 
don't hate me, but yeah. that's what I got. So getting into pre-production, I'm going to, again, try to get through this because there's a lot to talk about. So William P- Peter Blatty decided not only to write the screenplay, but he wanted to produce the film, which was a bit harder when meeting with studios because studios were very hesitant to let him produce this. So a bunch of deals fell through. Eventually, Hoya Productions and Warner Brothers agreed. And mm. so with the producer in place, they went to looking for directors. And a lot of directors were considered for this film, such as Arthur Penn, Mike Nichols, Stanley Kubrick, John mm. Borman, Peter Bogdanovich. And then the studio settled on Mark Rydell. All right, I know one of those names. Now you might say, Mariah, that's not who directed The Exorcist. That's not who directed The Exorcist. You'd be right. Because Peter Blatty really wanted an acquaintance of his named William Friedkin to direct because he really liked The French Connection, which at the time had not actually come out yet. So the studio was very iffy about it. And I will say, as I was doing research on this, I was finding a lot of similarities to Taxi Driver in terms of like how things happened. And there was going to be more connections later. But this Hmm. is like the producers wanting Scorsese and the studio balking until Mean Streets came out. Anyway, so... He also specifically liked that Friedkin came from a documentary background and thought that that approach would really sell the story if they were going to try to scare the shit out of people. Mm -hmm. And Blatty saw Friedkin, quote, as a director who can bring the look of documentary realism to this incredible story and is never going to lie to me, which I'm not sure how those correlate, but okay. Okay. But then the French Connection killed it commercially and they went, okay, so Friedkin devoured the book and said, I will do this. Um, And commitment. Thank you. And they bought out Rydell's contract. So now they've got a director. They got a producer. Now they just need a cast. So for Father Karras, who is played by Jason Miller, Jack Nicholson and Paul Newman were considered. And Paul Newman was like apparently very interested in doing this. They say his name in the movie. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, good job, Miles. Star two. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Almost there. Yeah. Um, but Blatty hired a man named Stacy Keach. However, you might say, Mariah, didn't you just say Jason Miller was hired? Yes, boys, you would be right. Wow. Because after Stacy Keach was in place, Blatty met with Jason Miller because he saw him in a stage play and like really liked his work. And Jason Miller had also been studying to be a Jesuit priest for three years. And he had a similar crisis of faith and immediately connected with it. And he told Blatty, like, Karis is me. Like, I have to do this. He's he's me for real, for real, please. He's literally me. And Blatty was like, I'm sorry, we've already, like, got this guy for it. But then after a screen test, they were convinced. And so once again, they, once again, they bought out Keech's mm. contract and hired Miller. Uh, I don't think Paul Newman would have been a good fit. I think I you're correct. I told Mariah this before. He's too sexy. This is he not is a sexy. sexy people movie. Well, no, is sexy, I will agree. Anyway, for Chris McNeil, the mother, Audrey Hepburn, Anne Bancroft, and Jane Fonda were considered, but they all rejected the offer. Oh. Fonda <laughs> reportedly told her agent, quote, why would any studio want to make this capitalist ripoff bullshit? Later, she then apologized to Blatty, and she said, quote, the reason I don't want to do it is because I don't believe in magic. Oh. What a... One of those. What a weird stance. Freakin also That's was like, like a redditor atheist kind of yeah. comment. There's a great documentary that I watched for this called Fear of God, which is like 25 years after The Exorcist. And Freakin is just like, yeah, she was just like super anti-capitalist or whatever. And he just like was not pleased with her to what, begin with. What's hyper-capitalist about this movie? Other than yeah, she's rich. 
I don't know. I don't. I probably just that. I don't know. Well, no, no disrespect to Jane Fonda, but I think her whole thing was kind of to be like a she. She's shaking the establishment. She want you know she she, she, she was, was a big to, protester. You know, she got protester arrested. Protester going a lot. out there and like yeah. doing stuff. So, but Blatty suggested his friend again, Shirley MacLaine, who kind of based off based Chris off of. Um, but she had just been in a film called The Possession of. Oh my God, I can't talk. The Possession of Joel Delaney. And so Friedkin was like, it's too similar of a role, too recent, nah. And an interesting take that I thought was that Friedkin wanted Carol Burnett to play Chris, who she is mm. a comedian. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I think she can handle the role. I think it's like within her wheelhouse. We just have to give her the opportunity. And the studio said, nah. And uh, eventually Ellen Burstyn got the part after telling Friedkin she was, quote, destined to play Chris. She didn't, she didn't tell Friedkin she was Burstyn for the part? No, I didn't, I didn't read that anywhere. I'm no. freaking bursting. Whenever I try to get a job from now on, I think it's going to have to be a pun with my own name. I'm Stefan. To be around. I am, yeah. Oh, fuck, I was going to say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ellen Burstyn just really related to a Catholic upbringing that she eventually discarded later in life. So she got the part um, for Father Marin. Warner Brothers said, well... Obviously, it's going to be Marlon Brando, right? He's not my daddy. Obviously, it's going to be Marlon Brando. Brando. And Friedkin said, nah, because then that it just becomes a Marlon Brando film. 200 times harder to film. Yeah. Marlon Brando is a wild card. Eventually, Friedkin saw a photo of Pierre Teilhard de Chardon, who I just mentioned, that Blatty based the character off of. Oh. And he saw that and he goes, that kind of looks like Max von Sydow. Mm. And he was cast. And then um, they had to look for Reagan, obviously, which was like the hardest thing. And 12-year-old? Yeah. And that was kind of the main reason a lot of directors didn't want to touch this project is because they thought that it would be like really hard to find a kid who could do this. Basically, most young actresses were either like too well-known and it wouldn't work because you'd be like, oh, that's like Shirley Temple. What are you talking about? Hmm. Um, or... Their parents wouldn't let the kids do it because she has to say vulgar things. She has to do vulgar things. It's not a good look. Yeah, this is a hard one to sign on to. Jamie Lee Curtis as a kid was kind of considered, but her mother, Janet Lee, said absolutely not. But eventually, Eleanor Blair said, hey, my daughter Linda Blair would do it. And I want to make a quick note because, again, kind of relating to Taxi Driver, we talked about how a child psychologist was needed for Jodie Foster to mm-hmm. make sure that like the film wouldn't corrupt her. But Linda Blair in the Fear of God documentary that I mentioned, she said, quote, in my religion, we never discussed the devil. So to me, it was a fictitious character. Like people think of Frankenstein. It wasn't real to me. She was just able to separate the film from reality and it did not affect her whatsoever. They happened to get the most just resilient. Yeah. She like couldn't understand why people were scared of the film. She's just like, it's just a movie. She She was Christian. Don't they got the devil? We talk about Satan. Yeah, yeah but, but I guess it's not, not like, like fire and brimstone. Oh. Depends, depends which book I, you're doing. I, yeah, I guess it but depends. Yeah, she was just like, nah, it doesn't bother me. And she, she like didn't care. She was able to like switch off immediately. Uh, Dick Smith, who did the makeup for this. Uh, who, what did I say about Prime? Come on. Again, Taxi Driver Connection. He did the makeup for Taxi mm. Driver. He asked her like, how are you able to say these such awful things? And she's like, well, it's just Reagan saying it. It's not me. So, yeah, she's just, like, super capable. <laughs> like Damn, she out there going, like, fuck, 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 fuck. 
and then cut. Hey, can I have a juice box, please? Basically. Yeah. I need my teddy. So they got the whole cast. They got the whole crew. Let's fucking hit it. Production began August 12th, 1972, with exteriors being filmed in the D.C. area, which is, again, where it takes place. But most of the interiors were filmed in New York on stages and built upon locations. The first sequence was filmed in Mosul, Iraq, at a time when U.S. and Iraq were not buddies, which I would argue were is still ever? happening. Yeah, it's still not. Um, so they had to be extremely careful and work with the Iraqi government for approval. And the deal was that they had to teach uh, filmmaking to interested locals, and they had to hire an Iraqi crew. Um, okay. It would also reach 130 degrees while they were filming. What the Ooh. fuck? Yeah. 130? Mm-hmm. I think I would die. I would walk out. <laughs> like I'd walk out. But put me in the sub twenty bedroom, not the hundred thirty degree. Hundred and thirty. Yeah, that, they did have a totally different crew for that. I believe yeah. the d- director yeah. of photography for that section was Billy Williams. Um, and Owen Roysman did the rest of it. But that's that on that section. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back in the U.S., one thing about this is that they went extremely over schedule and extremely over budget, just like uh, many of the films we mentioned on this podcast Just how we like before. them. Mm-hmm. Um, Step on up, Exorcist, join our ranks with Taxi Driver and Jaws, Full Metal Jacket. Well, Taxi Driver was only like five days, but yeah. Anyway, they were scheduled for 85 days of filming. Do you guys want to just take a guess how many days they went? Mm, wait, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to guess... 103. Keep going. I'm going to guess 124. Keep going you up, were, boys. Uh, you got still a while to climb. Okay, 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 okay. 210. Don't give Miles a hint. Let him guess. Well, your eyes got you, wide. You gave him. You, gave him you're, you would be horrible at poker. Well, if I know that I wasn't supposed to react, then okay. I wouldn't have reacted. Price is right, Wolves. 211. I mean, you both are in the ballpark because its sources say either 200 or 220. Oh, so within I, that frame, Okay, we both win. Yeah. Well, I guessed one higher than you, so... <laughs> but I guessed one lower, so I'd be closer to 200. Yeah, but you would still have gone over and thus would have lost. Is, oh, is that how the... I was just going by who's closest. To anyway, the, they obviously shot... Obviously, someone hasn't watched Price For between right. 200 and 220 days... So they went $2.5 million over, which is $17 million oh. today. And they ended up costing Warner Bros. $12 million, which is $83 million today. Whew. Yes. And Yikes. one of the reasons is that Friedkin and the cinematographer, again, Owen Roisman, prioritized getting the lighting perfect. So yes. it, would, it would just take longer than normal. What Sometimes is- it would be like three, four, five hours <clears> before, <throat> they were, <laughs> before they were ready to go. And for like that iconic shot of Father mm-hmm. Marin walking up and it's all foggy and the streetlights and the, the, window. the windows, like it's the phenomenal. The poster shot? Yes. They spent the entire day lighting that. And that also is inspired by the painting The Empire of Lights by Rene Magritte. Mm, Magritte? I love Magritte. Yeah. Um, I like the kiss. But also some things that added to this is that um, the house set burned down randomly one day. It was me. It delayed production six weeks and uh, the only room... That was not burned. Was Reagan's bedroom? It was so cold in there. So this oh kind God. of began the notion that this production was cursed. Another set was damaged by the sprinkler system. One of the statues for the Iraq sequence was shipped to Hong Kong instead, so that oh, delayed just, filming by two weeks. That's just UPS. So there are a lot of de- uh, a lot of delays. 
I would not be surprised if a demon was running the mail system. There's also a lot of deaths related to this film. Also me. People, Real deaths? Hmm? Real deaths? Real, Real deaths. deceased. So the numbers vary from seven to nine people <laughs> that died in relation to this film. Not worked on it, but in relation to it. Like a radium leak? <laughs> so Jack McGowan, who played Burke Dennings, who dies... He died shortly after filming. Oh, his ass is... He died of the flu. 102 years old. The so. flu. <gasps> no, he was like 54. Wait. Wait. The director who dies, who at the oh, beginning... Oh, like, I thought you were film. talking about the old ass man. Mar- mm. No. He died of the flu? Yes. That almost sounds like fall. Because <laughs> he fell down the steps. He flew down the steps. He flew... <gasps> Guys. Oh, my God. Guys. Um, they had a night watchman on this set. He passed away during the filming. The man responsible for the set refrigeration, which we will get to in a second, he passed away. Nah. This is the saddest one. An assistant cameraman's newborn baby passed away. Um, Max von Sydow's brother passed away like one day into his filming, so he had to fly back to Sweden, which again, delayed filming again. Um, Linda Blair's grandfather passed away. The actress... Vasiliki Maleros, Vasiliki. who plays Karis's mother, she passed away before the film went out. It should be noted she was eighty nine and died of natural causes, though. So, like that one's the one I hundred percent can like understand. Um, also, a carpenter lost a finger, an electrician lost a toe, and I hope they find them. Ew. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be. They're not gonna find them unless they X-ray my belly. so all of this considered Friedkin said quote after all I've seen on this film I definitely believe in demonic possession we were plagued by strange and sinister things from the beginning and then the effects supervisor Marcel Vocateer said quote I felt I was playing around with something I shouldn't be playing with Mm. Um, and so after that Father Thomas Birmingham who had a very small role in this film as Tom the university president and was a technical advisor because he was a priest he blessed the set to ease everybody's nerves. Mm. They asked him to do an exorcism. And he's like, I think if I do an exorcism, that's going to just like keep everybody super anxious. So I'm just going to bless mm. the set and be like, you're good. But countering that, Max von Sydow, again, in the Fear of God documentary, was like, look, if you shoot for 200 days, stuff's going to happen. Yeah. Like the the likelihood that something's going to happen goes up. Some, some crew members family's gonna die yeah it's, it's like yeah, like how many movies have like uh you know in memory of yeah, yeah. Like, so it's like it, yeah, it the happens. likelihood is higher for a 200 day shoot than if it's a 20 day shoot and blatty said the same thing yeah so in terms of accidents too when you're working hard and you got freaking as your director you're you're a little out of it and you're like i gotta i gotta cut this setup i gotta oh there goes my thumb and speaking of freaking we're gonna talk about how he was a terror on set. I can't wait. If you guys aren't familiar with Freakin, he is a card. Miles, you have your hand up so nicely. What? I don't know who he is. Well, we're going to get into that. He, I would describe him as a more tolerable Kubrick. He's like Kubrick if he went to improv classes. <laughs> so the set was a lot. And Friedkin went to extremes to get reactions and results with the actors. And I and I don't think that the word terrorizes is too strong. No. Friedkin would shoot off guns with blanks just to randomly startle his actors. That's to, no good. 
to to make to, them look to shocked make people anxious um his inspiration for this was based on uh george stevens film the diary of anne frank stevens would like kind of do the same thing with his actors again with just kind of the sole purpose of provoking terrified reactions i just put caffeine in my actors like <laughs> iv so they're just like and friedkin said quote it's of course very difficult to say to an actor now you're looking at the face of the demon and expect him or her to be frightened when he or she is in fact looking at the face of a 12 year old girl in makeup the unexpected sound of a gun helps to produce the desired response okay mariah when you're directing your film yes i want you to get a gun okay fill it with blanks okay and then i'm gonna wear squibs (laughs) on my chest okay and i'm gonna drop something and you're just gonna go that's it, and you're gonna shoot me five times in the chest. Got it. Stefan, side project: replace the blanks in Mariah's gun with real bullets. <laughs> mm-hmm. You Make think that I would be Mariah. able to hit you with that? I've never <laughs> held a gun murder. before in my life. But yeah, so Jason Miller, who played Karis, in particular, fucking hated this, and he yelled at Friedkin, and he was like, "Look, I'm an actor. I don't need these outside things to motivate my performance. Mm. You know what?" As an actor, I can act. You want me to be scared? I can act scared. Don't shoot off a fucking gun. Yeah, God forbid anyone on set has PTSD either. Yeah, I real quick, I know I'm inserting myself here. I thought it was interesting because with The Witch, which was our previous episode, we have a very similar setup of like a young girl and young kids in like a very horrific scene and how Robert Eggers approached it and was like, no, we need to come at this away so everyone can come out sane and happy and everything's fine and he even mentioned he's like oh i thought it would be cool to like mess with actors as a kid but when i got older i realized like that's not what you do just fucked up and freaking i guess never outgrew that uh no so he also kind of took extremes extremes with some of extreme the effects so there's this scene where during the the crucifix sequence, yeah, I believe. You got this. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris is like thrown across the uh-huh. room and she falls and she's like writhing around in pain. Basically, she had a harness and she was yanked backwards. And Ellen Burstyn came up to Freakin and was like, he's pulling me too hard. I'm like genuinely afraid that I'm going to like get hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, yeah, Marcel Vocateer, again, this effects supervisor, like, please tell him to go easier. And Freakin was like, oh, so I'll talk to him. Um, but instead, he went, give it to her. Pull as hard as you fucking can. What a piece of shit. <sighs> so Vokatir pulled her so hard. Her scream and her pain, real, because she fractured her coccyx? Or her, oh, she like, fractured her fucking cock! <laughs> she fractured her <laughs> coccyx or like her spine. Mm. And it was like permanently damaged. Oh. And one thing that I read so said- So she sued him. No, but she kind of never forgave him for that. She just was like, oh, one of the one of the things they called him on set was like Wacky Willy. Because they never knew what he was going to do. Oh, that Wacky Willy. <laughs> um, yeah, she like in the documentary, you know, 25 years later, she's like still clearly unimpressed with that. And one one source said that like she had to be ambulanced away and couldn't film for two weeks. But then Friedkin was like, no, no, she could work the next day. So I don't really know about well, that. Of course you would say that, but yeah. Yeah. There's also this scene. Well, well yeah. distinction. She could work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Not that she did work the next day. That's true. <laughs> anyway. And then the scene towards the end of the film after Karis has flung himself 
down the stairs mm. and Father Dyer is reading him his last rites and stuff. The man who played Father Dyer, William O'Malley, was a priest. He was not an actor. Right. And pretty good. Friedkin was not getting the performance he wanted. So uh -oh. he signaled to the camera operator to roll it, went up to O'Malley, slapped him across the face and said, go. And so O'Malley is like, that shaking hand that you see was yeah. just adrenaline. I did not control that at all. It's because I just got slapped across the fucking face. See, all this would be fine if they all signed a waiver before shooting and they're like, hey, I'm going to do wacky stuff. Is that okay? Sign they here. They call me Wacky Willie. And then they were like, okay. And they consented to it. But the fact that no one like asked for this or yeah. you know agreed to it. It's kind of the issue. I'm pretty sure God isn't happy when you slap priests. That you know, he did smack a soldier of God in the face. So he's going to hell. So again, I mentioned, stay with me here, boys. Dick Smith, who did the makeup for Taxi Driver, he did the makeup for this. So we're going <sighs> to talk about the makeup that he did because he's a legend. It's amazing. All right, I blacked out there for a moment. For Reagan, he made a full face cast of Linda Blair. Did six variations of makeup stylings, but Friedkin did not like any of them. And basically the thing that he was concerned about is that the the way that it was in the script is that the reactions wouldn't be like intense enough given how horrific some of the makeup variations Dick Smith had created were. He's like, mm. they'd be reacting really calmly to this woman who looks terrifying. So then he got the idea for that in the scene of the crucifix, she would have scarred herself. Like I mentioned before, mm -hmm. that's why that's in there. And so they went from there to make those scratches kind of gangrenous again and kind of worsen them as the days went on. Um, yeah, it was cool seeing her like descent into yeah. being fully... I really like watching children fall to illness. I love I used watching to the plague be upon when them. I would go, Spanish flu, I just sitting there oh. for hours. Yeah, just watching Me them and my wife decay. at the time, that's how we met. Yeah. Um, so once... They had this progression of makeup all planned out. They were set, and Linda Blair sat in the makeup chair for up to four hours a day before going Lee. on set. That's fucking trooper as a 12-year-old. 12-year-old? Yeah, but also that's kind of chump numbers. Yeah, for an iPad kid, just another weekday. Just another weekday. But, you know, when we read about it, these other people, are they're like, oh, we're in the makeup room for eight hours. You know, Robocop was getting a suit on for 12 hours. Hey, you guys. Four hours? Yes, Miles. Hey, hey you guys. That guy. How yeah. long? Oh. oh, goodness. I can't remember. Oh. I want to say like five hours. Oh, that's not that bad. Anyway, so um, for How that part two, when she's got like the extra long tongue. Yeah. She's licking the air and stuff. God <laughs> damn. Um, they took a mold Oof. of her tongue, which. They just didn't have her me, trim her tongue for like two months. Right? Yeah. For me, doing a mold of my tongue, I think would have been the worst part. That I just I feel like I would have been gagging or something like that no, would have I'm sucked. Cool. I'm cool with that. But I guess the worst part for Linda was the contacts that she had to wear. Her eyes I got can't. super irritated. <sighs> yeah, um, and it's she just contacts like, in what this is seventies, right? Yes, contacts in the seventies can't be good. Nah, mm -mm. she said the ones that are like clear white were like the nicest ones or something. But yeah, they sucked for her. Blair also had an adult body double for certain stunts and moves that she makes, like but, when she stabs herself in the wiener. Yes, that is Eileen Dietz. She was about 25 or 26. Um, they would use her for lighting tests. So basically, Blair wouldn't have to sit in the makeup chair and then sit for lighting. Right. So yeah, that scene with the crucifix, that's Eileen Dietz's legs, because they obviously didn't want to show Linda Blair's. Yes. But then Linda Blair did the rest of the parts. 
And in the documentary Fear of God, she clarifies that she's like, I didn't know what masturbation was. And she's like, I didn't really know what I was I, doing until years later. And then I was like, oh. I do- Whenever people talk about this movie and they talk about the scene, they always say it's master. It's a masturbation scene. I don't. It's a mutilation it's, scene. That's yeah, not what's it's going mutilation. on. Mutilation. Yeah. If you watch it, you see that scene. You're like that. I would never describe it as a masturbation because there's a lot of blood. Yes. Yes. There's and a lot of stabbing. Linda Blair said basically she had a box with a sponge in it that had like the fake blood on it, and all she knew is that she was supposed to put the cross in the sponge. She's like, I didn't know really what I was doing. Okay, I just knew like that was the move. That's okay. All that's right. a that's a plus. Yeah. Good point. Also, for makeup, I want to talk about Max von Sydow because mm. the old man, right? How oh, old man. do you think he was when they were filming this? <sighs> like 205? <laughs> yeah. How about you try 44 years old? What? <laughs> he had to go through four hours of makeup to appear older. What the fuck? I thought they just got like a dinosaur man. Yeah, and so when The Exorcist mm. came out, he um, actually found it hard to get work after that. Because he'd be like, oh, I can play this part. And then he'd be like, you're too old. And he's like, no, I'm not old. It was makeup, dude. That's Which I always, I always thought he was just old in the movie. I thought he was just an old man. And what was funny is that, again, in the fear of God, 25 years later of The Exorcist, I was like, damn, he looks the same. He's looking good. And then I got to that part and I was like, oh, mm. <laughs> that makes more sense. Well, but- Dick Smith, give yourself a pat on the rump. Yeah. No, but the old priest, man. Does he have Parkinson's? You mean Father Marin? Yeah. No. Oh. What's his little? He got. Shakies. Oh, he's got a heart. He's got like a heart condition. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. For the pills, you mean? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm guessing he's taking some sort of glycerin pill for like. When he died in the movie, I was like, Tums. He might have just like done that, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, free, free kid would have filmed it. <laughs> yeah. And put it in the movie. So moving on for makeup, we're going to talk about special effects here. With our man, who I've mentioned a couple times, Marcel Vogatier, again, the super, uh, the special effects supervisor. Okay. So for when Reagan is thrashing around on her bed, basically what they had done is they made a mold of her back and basically made a brace off of that. Oh. Then there was a strap around her stomach and then lacing up and down the sides. Mm. And then there would be men on the other side of the wall just fucking yanking it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, run that one by me again, sister. Yeah, so met and doing on the what other on side the of the other, wall. We're on the other we're side yanking of the wall. it, pulling, pulling the okay. string around. Does that have anything to do with our scene? <laughs> <laughs> so during one take, the lacing got loose on one side of her, and so she was going up, and then she would come down on the brace, and it was really hurting her. Ooh. So she was calling out, "Please make it stop." And they were like, damn, she's just like improving. This is great. Oh. And they kept going. Yeah. And I guess some people think that she's calling out for William Friedkin. Like, it sounds like she's saying Billy, but I think she's saying, help me. Oh, man. Um, but of course, Friedkin was like, gold. We got to use it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So that one was not intentional, but she did um, get injured. Again, I believe like permanent spinal damage from that. What the fuck? I'm going to yeah. cross injuring a 12-year-old girl off my list. Another huge stunt is when Father Karras is thrown down the stairs. Yes. Now, I have found sources that either say there are 75 stairs or there are 97 stairs. Either way, that's a lot of stairs. 
that a stuntman had to fall down. It's a big deficit. So Vocateer basically just put half-inch rubber on all the steps to kind of... And mm. you can actually see it pretty obviously if mm. you look for it. Yeah. The cuts just, are pretty quick, though. Yeah, the cuts are quick, but then towards the end, you just see these little layers of rubber just on top of the stairs. Um, but the stuntman did it twice without any injury whatsoever. And... Um, Vocateer also mentioned like during this part and when they'd be by the stairs, Georgetown kids who were obviously like nearby would sell tickets to see them filming this Hmm. and give people spots on roofs to like watch the production, which is kind of funny. That is funny. Nice. But Reagan's room, which is where, again, the majority of the effects took place, that was on a stage in New York. The whole set was on wheels so they could shake it for like when things are moving around. Um, There were three different beds that they used for different like maneuvers. So it was a set on a stage... And all of the walls were wild, which if you don't know, wild walls means that you can pull them out and put oh. the camera in there and you have more room to shoot. Keep flexing. The ceiling was also wild. Crazy. But after the ceiling cracks towards the end of the film, it was mm-hmm. a lot harder to move. And so when Regan levitates and is like just in the air, mm-hmm. they were trying to shoot without the ceiling. And then Friedkin, because he likes to be difficult, was like, well, no, I want to see the ceiling too. So they had to cut out tiny little holes where the wires were <laughs> for her mm. um just because he he wanted to flex and show yeah. the effects it does help though yeah when you can see the ceiling and you're like oh there's no wires up there so mm-hmm. you know the magician putting the hoop around the girl mm-hmm. yeah now for when reagan turns her head 360 degrees yes she went to the gym yeah, she she stretched every day for about two months. <laughs> they had a professional hitman where... come in and... <laughs> yeah, so that's they how they did that. S- they spliced her DNA with owl DNA. You know what, Miles, you're right. So obviously that was a dummy. and Dummy. The dummy was created by Dick Smith, who did the makeup, and Marcel Vogatier, who did basically everything internal and did all the mechanical stuff. And they were really pleased with it. They wanted to see how it worked. So they, <laughs> so they stuck it in a taxi... And they drove it around. And when people noticed this freaky ass looking kid, they would spin the head around and drive away. So they did a YouTube prank video. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Owen Roisman, the DP, was also like, hey, what if, because everybody else's breath can be seen in the room, what if like we can see the dummy's breath? So they were like, oh, great. And they worked on that so that you can mm. see the dummy's breath too, which is just like incredible. Mm. How, so was it just actually hella fucking cold in there? Yes, and we will get to that in a oh, second. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to put this uh, gun on the floor. That's me jumping over it. I jumped the gun. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was more like a Chekhov's gun bit, like you, you're going to hang it up and then we come back to it. Nope. All right. Next up on the effects list, we have when Reagan's stomach says, help me. Yes. On it. Yeah. Um, so basically, Dick Smith made a foam latex replica of her stomach. Believe it or not. She just ate at Taco Bell. <laughs> Damn. Oh. That's me for real, for real. Zing. Holy cow. So then he took Damn. a paintbrush. Hold on. I got to take a second to appreciate that. One. That was gold. That was fucking gold. Stefan? Hey, proud of it, brother. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember you may continue. All right. So with the foam latex stomach, he took a paintbrush and cleaning fluid, wrote out the words, help me. And then it formed a chemical reaction. They kind of, basically, it looked almost like blistery. A non-painful reaction, I hope. And then he used a blow dryer to, like, deflate it. And then they just ran it in reverse. Mm -hmm. Just chemical reaction backwards. Neat. Pretty cool. I would have 
I would have made an incision into her back and then reached up through it to her stomach and, yeah. and yeah. Po- poked your little thingies out. Yeah. Mm. Um, for the vomiting. The vomitus. So this was Eileen Dietz. Taco Bell? Hey-o. Hey-o. That's Hey-o. the Baja Blast coming out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they used Eileen Dietz for this, I believe, not Linda Blair, just because the device that Dick Smith came up with was like, they were kind of like, let's not do this on a 12-year-old. It's kind of a lot. So basically, mm. they like molded these two pieces to Eileen Dietz's cheeks. I saw, I saw them in the movie. Mm. I saw them. You can kind of see them. And then... Um, they hid very flat kind of pipes, like uh, tubes in them, and then put makeup over those so like you couldn't really see the the pieces of like the device. And then the two hoses on each side of the cheek meet in the middle, in the mouth. Oh, and then right, there's, and then spray out one. Yeah, and then there's like a little where, where both of the hoses meet, and then it just sprays out. Then they hooked it up to pea soup, and you get the effect. Pea soup, yeah. peas. However, Friedkin didn't really like. Basically, he, they called it the garden hose effect because that's what it looked like. Yeah. Yes. So if you look super, super close, when Reagan shoots out the vomit at Father Karras, it's actually VFX. Oh, really? Because he wanted it to look different. Huh. Yeah. Huh. You you can see it just for a second if you look really closely. Um, also, the vomit was supposed to hit Karras's sweater, not his face. But while they were waiting for lighting to finish up, Volcateer was afraid that like the soup had gotten too cold and the consistency had changed. So he changed the direction a little bit mm. and it just It gooped him. It just it shot him in him. the face. And Jason Miller was not happy with that. It's pea soup. <laughs> His Slime reaction him. is genuine. I don't know. I feel like that's he's Yeah, it's it's not me. like disgusting. It's just yeah. like pea soup. But they did a couple of takes, you know, the right way, but then like ultimately they went with that one in the cut. Down Miles. You know that gun that you just put on the floor? And then I jumped it? Yeah. Yeah. No, Go ahead and pick I it have back it. up. No, oh, okay. I took it from him. It's in my hand. I'm pointing it at him. <gasps> oh, God. Stephen has the gun. Mariah, please. It's so, just blanks. If you notice, and it's not hard to miss, Reagan's room becomes very cold, and you can see everybody's breath. And Friedkin said, today they can draw it in digitally. It's rather expensive, but it's less expensive than what we did. They had four air conditioners that created sort of a cocoon around the set and they would leave it overnight and when they came in the next morning it was between negative 20 and negative 40 degrees holy Why shit they just like film inside a the walk-in of, i mean like, that's essentially restaurant. what they did is they built one around the set oh, okay one morning it even had a thin layer of frost in it from the condensation max von Sydow said it was really hard to act because you literally couldn't feel your face and fingers Damn. And the crew, ha- you can see behind the scenes photos, which I'll be posting on our Instagram. The crew has like full winter jackets and their photos of like the actors when they're not on shot, like bundled up as well. And poor Linda Blair just had to be in a fucking nightgown mm. like the whole time. <laughs> um, and she it says that she still 20. hates the cold. Yeah. That's crazy. And they would get I, about, dare I say, too cold. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is basically if they went anywhere above freezing, you wouldn't be able to see the breath as much. Mm. And he didn't like the effect. And they would get about an hour and a half of filming in before the lights that Owen Roisman was using would heat up the set. So they'd have to shut down and wait for it. Mm. So to get all of the shots that are cold took 60 days of filming. Oh, Jesus Christ. Remember, they were scheduled for 85 days originally. And 60 of those are dedicated to just the cold sequences. Wow. This is funny because I don't, well, okay. I don't know if they had developed this at that time. I don't know when it came around. I know now when they want cold breaths and stuff, I've told Mariah this before, there's this little thing where you get like a little container 
it holds a small piece of dry ice and then the actor oh, yeah, puts yeah, it yeah. in their mouth and then you can see their breath and no one has to be miserable except for the actor I guess it's not it's not like that bad just like cold, I think Max von Sydow did say that like it kind of helped him age up his performance because like when you're kneeling for five takes and it's negative yeah. 20 you go to stand up your bones do not want to cooperate yeah. <laughs> so he's like it did make me move older an effect that is not in the film but is in the 2000 release re-release of this is the spider walk sequence of yes. Reagan going backwards down I the stairs thought that was going to be in the movie. You did the same thing I did when I first watched this movie. Yeah. I thought it was in there and then it wasn't. I was like, at some point she like crawls, right? Right. And then... Illuminate us. And then she didn't. Yeah. So they had a contortionist named Anne Miles. What the fuck? So they had her basically on a wire. Me? Yeah. Miles, that was Guys, you. Guys, don't go to I Miles' do. apartment at 3 a.m. <laughs> So they had her on wires and she would just walk backwards down the stairs. However, there wasn't really a good way to hide the wires mm-hmm. like or like digitally remove them. And you can see in the takes that like her hands aren't really touching. Like right. she kind of glides down the stairs. Yeah. So they they didn't think that they could really sell it. Another problem is, and Blatty agreed, is that the writing of that, that scene would then kind of have two climax points where they find out that Burke Dennings has died, she reacts, and then Reagan comes down the stairs, and it's just, like, a lot for one scene. So that's why after they find out that Burke Dennings has died, it just, like, kind of cuts to black really quick. Mm -hmm. However, they figured out how to digitally remove the wires for the re-release, and so that is in the re-release of the film, just not the original. Yeah. The re-release, not on Hulu Max or HBO Max. Yeah, we just watched the OG one. just the original. Yeah. So that's all I'm going to say about like the effects or the stuff that's flying around was just pretty basic practical effects that I don't feel like we need to super get into. So cinematography, I've mentioned his name a couple of times before, but I'll do it again. Owen Roisman was the DP on this project and he worked with Friedkin before on The French Connection. Woot woot, RIP. And their goal was to use as much natural light as possible to feel real as they had done for the French Connection, but this time they really wanted to elevate it to make it feel ominous and like there's this powerful force. Of course. So Roisman said that 90% of this film was shot on a wide open lens, meaning that if you don't know, it's like letting in as much light as possible because there's yes. very little light in a number of the scenes, especially when it's at night in Reagan's room. Um, that also means that the depth of field is very shallow, which means very little is in focus. So you have to be mm-hmm. extremely accurate Right. And they were, and it was great. For example, there's a couple of following shots as characters walk and talk like outside. And that was done with a 500 millimeter lens. And it's all in focus, which is crazy. And so that's a shout out to Ricky Bravo, the operator. And Tom Priestley, the camera assistant who managed that. Um, And in general, the house location provided many challenges, particularly with how to hide the lights since Friedkin wanted to shoot and show everything. There's a shot where Sharon, the assistant, is leading up like the two first doctors into the room towards the beginning where the camera leads them up the stairs really smooth and they pass the camera and go into the room. And Stefan, as we were watching this, yeah. he asked when the steady cam was invented and it was mm. invented a few years later. But how they did that was Roisman was on like a swing, basically, that had an electric hoist mm. that moved him up at the speed that they were walking and then it would move out of the way to let them go by. And you can yeah. see photos. Because cool. there's this, yeah, there's that shot where it's like, it looks like the camera's locked off and we're watching them and then they're walking up towards us and then all of a sudden it starts moving and you're like, whoa, how'd they do that? 
Yeah, so they did some very cool things. They had to get really tricky with the lights. They'd also say that because it was pretty narrow, when somebody walks by a light that's really close to them, obviously it gets really hot on their face, meaning it's like very bright. Melts them instantly. So everybody would basically have dimmers on them. So if somebody walked by a light, they would dim it. And then oh, like, really? Yeah, and then like mm. put it back up to max. So it doesn't look like the light's flashing, but it's just so it doesn't look like an actor is walking right by a light. Mm. Okay. They'd have like four or five dimmers going. Damn. And, oh, and for those of you that don't know, a dimmer is like a switch where just kind of like in your house, you can, instead of just having light go on and off, you can c- totally control zero to a hundred what percentage that light is at. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so post-production was done in a building at 666 Fifth Avenue. Those are the uh, um, special numbers. Those are the, the, that, uh, all right, we're going to talk about the, the sound design. Um, because I love my sound design in this the movie. sound design was extremely creative. They kind of were just it, trying to find actually, anything and everything. Yes, Miles. Didn't that one bit kind of sound like Halloween? Some tubular bells? No, there's like two parts in the movie. One where it's like, I think it is Halloween because there's kids in costumes. And it's doing like the the chord progression. And it sounds like the chord progression from I think, Halloween. I think he's just talking about the theme song. Yeah. Nah. So for the sound design, they basically just found literally anything. Mice running on wheels, bees, etc. to see what worked. Mm. So they mixed bees, dogs, hamsters, and pigs into the demon's voice <laughs> on top of Mercedes McCambridge voices Pazuzu, which Pazuzu. they don't mention Pazuzu's name, but that's the demon. I thought they did. Oh. I don't know how I knew that then. No. And I'll mention I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the sound design went on for four months and it was the absolute last thing that happened before the film was absolutely complete. Friedkin was apparently super demanding, and one of the sound designers said he was like a dick to his girlfriend at the time. Just a side note. Um Friedkin okay. had also seen El Topo oh, and said by Yorowski. He said, Who did that sound? Get me that guy. I haven't Get seen me that, that guy now. I look um, forward to it though. And it was a man named Gonzalo Guevara. Gonzalo. So they flew him in. They had him watch the film. He didn't speak a lick of English. Mm. And then he stood in front of the film playing and just improv shit for the sound design. Oh, shit. So he was using body parts, anything laying around, cans, all that kind of stuff. And the one that gets mentioned the most and is really cool. You told me was ham boning? He was a one-man show? Ham boning. So for the sound where... Reagan's head is spinning around. What he did is he grabbed a leather wallet, held it up, and just kind of twisted it back and forth, and that's the noise. Oh, of... classic! You mean one of these? Yeah, and that's the sound of Reagan's head turning around. You mean like one of these? Nailed it. Um, so going into this, freaking had no idea how to voice the demon, but eventually oh, I... he pulled out a book of Hieronymus. Bosch's paintings. Ah, that'll do it. To Chris Newman, the sound recordist, and he said, I want her voice to sound like a Bosch painting. That's kind of a great way to put it. And so Newman kind of interpreted this as her voice being more like a chorus of voices. Yeah, layered. Instead of one single voice. Like Sam Elliott. And then the core (laughs) of the voice should be whatever he considered the most evil. I'm just ignoring that so we can No, sorry. I meant meant to say Elliott Smith, not Sam Elliott. Elliott Smith (laughs) layers his vocals in his music. Sam, 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 Sam Elliott does not have a chorus <laughs> voice. So Newman took Linda Blair's voice from pre-production, spent 150 hours working on making her voice into this demonic version. Freaking fucking hated it. Well, so mm. I have a fun 
fact that I read. Yeah. About how they got this this spooky oh, voice. Boy. Okay. I was, I'm about All to right. read it. No, he's he's got some. Oh, he got horse some bit. Piss <laughs> I got that so, he's gonna tell it. us. Go ahead. No, I'll allow it. What's those? fun when you talk about it beforehand (laughs) no it's super cool i heard that they got the whole cast and crew together for a celebratory because you know wrong production was no this is right because i read it i'm read it because this was near the end so production was over this is post-production they got all the production guys together Mm -hmm. uh and then sacrificed each and every (laughs) single one of them at the obsidian altar and uh, oh. forced Reagan to feast on their hearts. You're close. So what they did is they got an actress named Mercedes McCambridge, who I just mentioned. Mm. She hopped on board the project. They gave her raw eggs, whiskey, and cigarettes to chain smoke. Hey, this sounds like a good night. Tied her down in a chair. Ooh, a and really good night. And recorded the audio night. that you hear in the This film. sounds like a great night. How do I get that am job? I, am I right, fellas? <laughs> hey. <laughs> And then to talk about the the score. Okay, so the score was initially composed by a man named Lalo Schifrin. And he said, trust me, when he was conducting it. And Lalo. when Friedkin went to one of the sessions where they were like recording, he stopped in the middle of the, like, the recording, fired Schifrin in front of everybody, including his wife and child, took the recording, threw it aco- across the street, and said, that's where your music belongs. D- that's not, not very kind. No, and then he just decided to use music that already existed. He used Tubular Bells and... Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield, progressive rock icon. Give him a listen. So there's that. Um, I don't like this person. So now this film has a soundtrack. It's got a score. It's got sound effects. And um, William Peter Blatty, again, writer and producer, he wants some of the scenes to be left in that Friedkin wanted cut, which created a tremendous rift between them. Specifically, the ending was supposed to be more uplifting. There's a scene where Father Dyer, again, who reads the last rites to Karis, and Kinderman, Kinderman invites Dyer to the movies, just like he did with Karis, and they walk off to have lunch. And in the Fear of God documentary, there's a bit where Blatty and Friedkin are sitting at the same table talking and discussing this. And Blatty said, you knew this relationship that Karis had with Kinderman lives on now through Father Dyer. God's in his heaven, all is right with the world. That's something I think the film could use. Then Friedkin says, I don't want to direct the way people think about this beyond what is already, to me, is self-evident. People actually believed what they saw on the screen. Some of them maybe had a different interpretation of that. That's always bothered you. I've always rejoiced in it. Everyone who sees this film takes from it what they bring to it. And then Blatty said, I don't want them to think the devil won. Hmm. And they had more disagreements. Because in 1973, William Peter Blatty actually sued Warner Brothers and Friedkin over the credits and said that Friedkin had banned him from the set, even though Friedkin kind of was like, well, I only banned you from the editing room. And they settled on William Blatty's The Exorcist as the title. Mm. Also, when Warner Brothers re-released The Exorcist in 2001, Blatty and Friedkin united. They set their differences aside and they both they both sued Warner Brothers for loss of profits because hey, they were saying hell yeah our publicity could have helped the re-release enemies to lovers <laughs> so now the movie's done let's talk about the reaction that this thing got because this was kind of a big deal when it came out so they do this yeah. test screening i'm kind of a big deal <laughs> they do this test screening with producers the cast the crew and hundreds of test audience members and the production designer bill o'malley or bill malley sorry said quote 
When it was over, nobody applauded. Everybody just sat there. They didn't know what they had just seen. And Blatty said when he was in that screening, a woman stood up and walked up the aisle with her head in her hand. And she was just going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sounds like a night with me. (laughs) Did he show up? Uh, No, but uh, people were throwing up. People were fainting. There was pandemonium. One theater manager, once this was widely released, was quoted as saying, quote, we have a plumber practically living here now because everybody kept throwing up in the sinks and toilets after seeing this. And the scene that seems to have got people the most is the spinal, like the spinal Spinal tap scene. Listen, did you, how much of it did you see, Miles? A lot. I did see a lot of it. Yeah. The part that I missed that Issa described was just like, he punctures the neck, it bleeds a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So after and then this, he shoves the tube in. Yeah. yeah, but he, it's quick. No, it, the, mm. here's the thing about Friedkin is again with his documentary background, it just mm. holds on that shot. No, it, you it cannot escape it. it. I'll be honest. Okay, watching like, it, I I felt a little funny watching. It. I've what? seen this movie oh, twice wow. before. When you see, it's just, I think because it's just a real procedure. And it's something about specifically when I see blood spurting out in to, in rhythm to, to a heart. Right we'll watch it again. We'll watch it again. And what I Not said right actually now. is that the second procedure that she gets, which is basically just like a bunch of x-rays. That one's goofy. I like that one. See, I actually think that <laughs> one's really effective because it set up the first procedure as being horrendous. So when you see her going for the second procedure, I, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, oh shit, what are they going to show now? And it, it like I was like tense, and then when I realized what it was, I was able to relax a little bit. But like the anticipation got me that second time around. I was just like, <laughs> it goes in circle. Anyway, so they do this test screening, pandemonium, and producers are like, shit, and they consider just canning the project, never showing at all. And Joe Hyams, who was the publicist for the film, sat with like the execs at, execs afterwards, and they basically were like, what just happened? And he said, quote, fellas, I don't know what happened tonight. I saw the same film. And all I'll tell you is the other 900 people who saw this film are all congregated outside the theater talking and not one person has gotten into their car to leave yet. That's what you got, fellas. That's your movie. Mm. So Warner Brothers was open to releasing it, but they were very wary. So they decided to release it very slowly, kind of just like Taxi Driver again. Mm. However... There's a lot of interest in a film that was making people vomit violently and yes. pass out. Mm. Like ambulances would come and take people away. Like this shit was insane. I there was think... one woman who fainted and passed out and broke her jaw and sued Warner Brothers for it. I I, I think, pe- when did this movie release? 1973. I think the people in the 70s would just not build right. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, I, I, I mean, people s- had similar reactions when Jaws came out. I don't want to yeah. say I'm built different. No, we're but built different, bro. We <laughs> like The things we've seen. Yeah, the internet, I feel it's, like... It's hard to top, especially... Not, not you know, the whole internet conversation aside, like, we have all these other horror movies to build upon that we've already yeah. seen that they didn't have before. They had, like, the Swamp Monster... You know, and then you throw you throw the this exorcist away. walked, so everything else that we know now can yeah. run. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, people they were thrown, they were giving out vomit bags at theaters. People were lining up for blocks to just vomit in the theaters, basically. Mm. Man, I've sounds like a fun time. I've seen things you people wouldn't <laughs> believe. No, but like 
I just, I can't possibly imagine. Because the only reason I didn't watch it is because I saw a needle on the screen and went, that's not for me. But like, come on. How bad could it possibly be where people are vomiting? But imagine never seeing anything like this before. Yeah. I guess, yeah, if you're like, you don't know what the internet is yet. Yeah, yeah people aren't yeah. privy to this kind of um, visual. Also, in response to the release of this, the two actual priests who are in this, Fathers William O'Malley and Thomas Birmingham, were called for exorcisms left and right. And O'Malley was like, I'm not going to fucking exorcise your cat. Like, leave me alone. And they were also, I believe it was in Italy. They were, I think it was Birmingham was invited to like appear alongside psychiatrists in Italy to like deal with the uproar that was being caused to like mm. calm people down. Damn. You think the Pope was out there going like, hey guys. It, this is also in line with discussion of the witch in terms of just hysteria and how quickly people can go. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. I think if I was in their position and someone was like, oh, can you please, please you have to exercise my, my daughter? I'd show up. I would beat the ever-loving hell out of them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'd go. Scratch them up. I'd go, you watched the movie. I, I This is what I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, note to self, never hire Miles for an exercise. For anything. Yeah, I'm going to beat the shit out of that person you want me to help. Now, aside from audiences who went in and saw this in theaters, how do you think... Um, the Catholic Church felt about this film. I think they fucking loved it. William Friedkin said, one of the best things that could happen is if the Pope denounces it. Oh, they, oh. But like, well, I guess they don't win. We'll get more into it in discussion. But yeah, I guess like the priests don't win. See, I would say that they do. I, 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 I would say do. God wins in this because oh. Karis comes back from his crisis of faith. Uh-huh. He sacrifices yeah. himself to save a little girl. He is redeemed. Uh-huh. The demon is gone. The girl is safe. The girl yeah. is saved. I'm now, just saying that the demon got a KD of like he three did. One. He's like yeah, yeah. Like you're right. Pazuzu three humans. Demons. Zero. The demons top in the leaderboard. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Billy Graham, who if you don't know who Billy Graham is, oh god. But he said that this movie was on the streets and had the power of evil in the fabric of the film. Like, he said that the devil was possessing the actual, like, celluloid film. That's sick as fuck. Mm, um, that's a Friedkin, cool concept. That's sick as hell. <laughs> I like that. And in response to this, Friedkin said, quote, I think all the people that make these outrageous claims about it just don't know what they're talking about. Perhaps it can't affect you that way. Well, good. I'm glad it affected Billy Graham that way. I'm sure it's a lot better than having him sit before some, you know, stupid film on television that portrays Jesus with a halo around his head and people getting all goo-goo-eyed around him, you know, the way Christianity is normally portrayed. <laughs> wow. All right, well, my boy ain't getting any shots, uh, shots invitations. Are, shots are being fired. And uh, William Peter Blatty said, there is a power to move you and have a disturbing effect upon the viewer, which is greater than the sum of any of its parts. It's enormous and it's mysterious, but my God, it's not a power of evil. Linda Blair also received death threats from religious people offended by this film and warner brothers had to hire bodyguards to live with her for 24 hours a day for six months damn does that death threats to a girl that got possessed yeah and and the death threats continued for years after um and at times her parents had to hide her with her friends in other states it's crazy how much just the death threats to people for acting characters happens Mm -hmm. like a lot yeah the uh the the lady who played the wife from breaking bad got death threats they're like, we hate you. And it's like, it's a character. 
Well, guy. didn't uh, didn't guy from Game of Thrones like the kid? He, yeah, hair. he also yeah. Joffrey. Yeah. yeah, he got death threats. That's another similar one because he's a kid. It's crazy how people cannot we'll separate just, that yeah. sometimes. But in general, the church outwardly had a very negative view of the film. But it was kind of later revealed that since most people's takeaway was that turning to Catholicism is the answer, they were <laughs> pleased with the result of it. Maybe not necessarily the content of it. Yeah. And some, you know, some religious folk viewed it as a mockery of their religion and what exorcisms are for. But again, if you look at the progression of the film, it kind of states that turning back to God, i.e. Yeah. Karis losing his face and coming, faith, not his faith, his faith. Um, for a second, he does lose his face. He does. Yeah. He is Pazuzu for a second. Uh-huh. Um, like that will be your salvation. Yeah. So. Well, even I feel like in the depiction, we see the doctors and the scientists and they're like grabbing at straws. They don't really know what to do. There's like 12 of them in a room and they're like, oh, I don't know. And then we get a shot of like our two priest guys in a room and they're like, let's send in Marin. It's like it, they're like surgical. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, like we know they what have to do. the answers. So it's like they just like they seem depicted to be more capable of handling the situation. But yeah, it resonated with a lot of people who, who had had crises of faith just very interesting how some people absolutely hated it for how it portrayed religion some people loved how it portrayed religion um now we're going to talk about the awards kind of like its legacy the exorcist became the first horror film to be nominated for best picture it was also nominated in nine other categories so it was nominated for best picture i didn't realize this got any recognition from the academy yeah which is why it was such a big deal this was because horror movies never get recognition and that's why it's so monumental for the horror genre Mm. so again it was nominated for best picture it was nominated for best actress for ellen burston who plays chris best supporting actress for linda blair best supporting actor for jason miller which this is his Mm. debut in film by the way wow um director screenplay cinematography art direction sound and editing somehow not makeup huh yeah. Where's the love for Dick Smith, guys? Where's Come on. Where's the love for Dick? But during its campaign, I there love was Dick. an ad. I'll get you a button that says that. Um. So during its campaign, there was an ad with the Oscar statue on it with devil horns, and it's and it said, "Is Oscar going to the devil?" Yo, um, that's and pretty fire. The director George Cukor. Okay. Just a funny name. He absolutely hated this film. He threatened to resign from the Academy if it won Ew. Best Picture. He wanted this huge campaign for literally any other film to win. And it did not win Best Picture. It did win Best Sound Design and Best Screenplay. Cool. Sound Design. Hell yeah. Yeah, the sound design is phenomenal on this. Um, phenomenal. And yeah, like I said, this film challenged how people viewed horror films. None had ever really mm. had this effect on people before. It was the highest grossing R-rated horror film until Sixth Sense in 1999. Um, and that's not even see that the only horror films I get recognized by the Academy are either like crime thrillers like Science of the Lambs or they're like psychological thrillers and then they kind of slap like horror on at the end they will not acknowledge anything that's just horror yeah so again this is why this is so important mm. um, the Cine Fantastique which is a horror slash sci-fi magazine said the exorcist has done for horror what 2001 did for science fiction. Wow. Um, many directors like Scorsese, Kubrick, Fincher, and Eggers hey. have all put The Exorcist up, uh, up on their list of favorite films. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter said it influenced The Fog. Mm-hmm. Um, it influenced studios to invest more into horror films. It encouraged A-list celebrities to do horror films. 
The soundtrack and score and sound design is said to have influenced Kubrick for The Shining and the larger idea of kind of accepting modern music into movies like this. And then for the sound design, like the tritones, sound massing, and tone clusters that were used were all revolutionary in how people approach sound design. Um, so yeah, this is just like an insanely important piece of cinema mm-hmm. that just revolutionized horror uh, and sound design, which is just is just very cool. Um, and I'm just going to hit you with a few pieces of trivia, <sighs> and that will be my very long-winded <sighs> spiel on The Exorcist. Long-winded, the world's largest whoopee cushion. So whoopee again, I did mention this. The demon's name is never uh, said, but it is Pazuzu, which frankly is I thought silly. I, I must be getting mixed up with like just like other exorcism things because i thought the bit was that they needed his name in order to exorcise him i don't believe they ever but say it. it they must just do that and like because i think they do that in like other media where they're like oh we need the demon's name i think they mention the name in other exorcist movies yeah. just not this one um also the face of pazuzu that like flashes on screen mm-hmm. for quote subliminal messaging yeah. um that was eileen Dietz, who again was the body double for linda blair and that was makeup that was rejected in screen tests hmm. That was a rejected look that they decided just to stick in there. I like it. I like how they did it. Yeah. This one's not very fun, but there is a convicted killer who appears in this film as the x-ray tech, and he was a real x-ray tech. His name is Paul Bateson, and he was convicted of luring a man named Addison Verrill at a gay club and murdering him, and then he's claimed to have killed six others. One of those. And after hearing about this, Friedkin visited him in prison and huh. subsequently made a film called Cruising, which stars Al Pacino as a cop looking for a criminal who has the same M.O. Wow. Yeah. Next, well, in, in the film, Father Marin warns Karis of ignoring the things that the demon says while mm. they perform the exorcism. In the first day that Alex von Cito worked with uh, Linda Blair and Reagan curses at him and says just some vile things. <laughs> Max von Sydow just forgot his lines because he was so disturbed <laughs> and like unprepared for really what she had to say. Damn. And he was like, oh, can we go again? I'm sorry. <laughs> like I mentioned, Linda Blair was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but this was before it was known that Mercedes McCambridge had voiced the demon and people wanted to withdraw the nomination, but by Academy Rules, you can't do that. But people campaigned heavily against it and for other films because they were like, well, the performance isn't really hers because they're using somebody else's voice. And so it was kind of like rigged against her to begin with. Because every, you know, you got George Cucord like saying, mm. fuck this movie. I don't want it to win anything or else I'm going to leave. And then you have others saying she shouldn't even be considered because the voice isn't her own. Right. Mm. And lastly, there's a heavy metal band named Pantera that has an mm. album from 1992 called A Vulgar Display of Power, which is a quote from this. Mm. And that's when Karis asks Pazuzu to make the restraints disappear, and she replies... That would be a too vulgar display of power. And, uh... I actually kind of know about that album. And, uh, folks, that's The Exorcist. (sighs) Thanks for uh, sticking around for this ride, but before we go, we're going to have a little discussion about how you guys felt about the movie and give it a rating, but my oh my it's a lot to digest it's a long one it's a long one i'm gonna um, digest it i'm gonna vomit it back up at you it's pea soup here we go it's too long the movie it was longer they cut out quite a bit a lot of it was um expository like shots of reagan and chris like walking around dc and seeing like the lincoln memorial and things like that 
Yeah, and they I just don't, said get rid of mm, it. I don't need. I don't need the whole bit where they're like, "Oh, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? Oh, well, we can go to this place." And well, and that's what I'm saying. The, we this, there were scenes following that. Yeah, and then the whole bit where it's like, "Well, you can bring him if you want." It's like, no, I don't like him. I don't even I don't. remember this. To be quite frank with you, and like, there's a bunch of parts. Where I'm just like, why the fuck is this here? The f- the whole first part barely has anything to do with the movie. Yeah. You could remove it, it would change nothing. They're slow burning you. Wait, the first the very first part? Yeah. The the, in the Iraq? Yeah. It is um It sets up the demon, but you don't have any connection between like like there's no oh, it went from here to here. I think it just like it just it does contrast like light and dark. Yeah. When I first watched this movie, I didn't like it. Now I I actually really like the opening. A lot of it is just because of the sound design and like the way they shot it. But I don't know. I think it's just the tone. It's setting the it's mood. Like, it's it's setting it's setting how you're supposed to feel. Long ass bits of old man McGuckin just having like the oh, fucking McGuckin. thousand yard stare. This is bro. We got we got to get you off TikTok. I don't need it. What what are you talking about? You just—it's too long. It's not—it's not short it's enough. It's not thirty-five for you. second increments. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just bullying you. It's okay. I'm just saying. A lot of it was no. That's valid. Was just like yeah. It's, I could cut it. I don't know. I'm a well. When Ryan, you know, mentioned that freaking had like a documentary approach, I'm like that makes total sense because yeah. this like first whole half of the movie is like establishing and setting up, and like we were seeing those bits where you're like, okay. Because it's it's like, not I want to say cinema verite, but like you get those moments of like, oh, this is like a slice of life of just them being people doing stuff. And I think the intention is for that to sort of build the suspense and the drama because you're like, I know something's coming. I, I know just, something's happening. I was just kind of like, this is <laughs> whether or not it works. I don't know. And then the I don't know, I mean, I don't I don't think the priests were effective at all. What they do that a normal dude couldn't. Well, they knew the procedure. Yeah. But did it work? I mean, ultimately it did. Which but tap water does the same thing. Well, it has to be blessed by a priest, though. No, it doesn't. Because he uses tap water. They don't elaborate I think he on said, that, didn't he say that it has to be blessed by a priest? Like, it doesn't matter yeah, where the water comes from. Well, I'm realizing because... But he says it was tap water and she reacted mm-hmm. to it. And they never... In my head, I just assumed that the demon was faking it to have more doubt. But they never explain that, do they? No, they don't. I, so, in my head, I made it up where I'm like, the, oh, the demon was faking it to yeah, throw him off. The but. way I see it, there's just like nothing that proves that it had to be the priest. And then everything they do ultimately doesn't do anything because the demon is still insanely powerful and kills a guy. Well, they did mention that Marin had to do an exorcism once that like lasted months. So I think it's literally just however many rounds they have to go and do it before yeah, it's a it, boxing like, game. Before, yeah, how many rounds mm-hmm. they have to do before it's like effective? So it's not like one and done. It's like sometimes it needs repeated to like slowly weaken. Yeah. Pazuzu. I don't know. I, I ain't got the math. Although there it. is an argument that I did read that stating that like ultimately Karis was a fool for goading like the demon. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what the demon wanted. So he didn't actually like. He just fell into his trap. Yeah, what is? Because earlier in the movie, it says, you know, it would bring us closer together. Pazuzu or Linda Blair says that. Yeah. When he first talks with her, 
and knowing the end of the movie you're like oh it's talking about like it it sounds like it wants to possess him and that this is all set up to get to him plus is a demon like if the host of a demon is killed does the demon give a shit in this world i I think i think they die in this world they probably just like go back to hell i don't know it's hard with this kind of stuff because i feel like so many different movies and shows all have their own different rules yeah. and different things. And it's like, uh, which one am I? Well, there's in? an Exorcist 2, so I guess it effectively doesn't do anything. There's right? an Exorcist 3 yeah. and 4. And, and a new one. A new one, which actually I want to bring up real quick. Mariah, unless you find talk about it. William Friedkin, the director, he died this year. R.I.P. R.I.P. Actually, a lot of people connected with this film mm. died this year. Damn. Mm-hmm. But this new Exorcist movie is coming out, a sequel. And William Freakin was speaking with a film critic friend of his, Ed Whitfield, and he said, this is shortly before Freakin died. Mm-hmm. He said, Ed, the guy who made those new Halloween sequels is about to make one to my movie, The Exorcist. That's right. My signature film is about to be extended by the man who made Pineapple Express. <laughs> I don't want to be around when that <laughs> happens, but if there's a spirit world and I can come back... I plan to possess David Gordon Green and make his life a living hell. Damn. And then not only he did he out of here. not yeah. see this movie come out, but he very well may be haunting this man. <laughs> yeah. But have you seen The Second Exorcist? No, I haven't seen any mm. of the other ones. So, I, I wasn't even really going to talk about the sequels. I, I didn't talk about a lot of stuff in this. Yeah. There's so much more that you can find that is very fascinating, but we've already gone way too long. Yeah. So. Well, last point. If it's the same demon in the Exorcist two, then they like really didn't win. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be definitive answer, wouldn't it? Okay, uh, I'll talk real quick because I don't have a lot to say because I think we've already, I think Mariah's already discussed some of my thoughts and feelings. But like, I I really enjoy this movie. Not, I don't necessarily think it's scary, um, because I was not born in the forties. Uh. <laughs> But I think just as a movie, as a standalone movie, I I think it's really good. Mainly because I really like the cinematography. I really like the sound design. If a movie has fun sound design, I will almost certainly really enjoy it. And this movie has a lot of the sound design. I talked about it earlier with, you know, like the dogs. With the dogs fighting as we're seeing the statue, as if the statue itself is snarling and growling. I'm like, that's good. I like that. I think the editing's great. I think a lot of the basic fundamentals of filmmaking in this movie are very well done. And for that reason, I, I really like it. I don't want to go too in detail because, you know, we're over time. I like this movie. Yeah, I think the documentarian in Friedkin helped with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very good. Yeah, it's there's definitely a lot of like, oh, that was kind of spooky. And then it goes back to just being a drama. And yeah. then it's not spooky. And then it's like, oh, and then she she pees on the floor. And then it's back to normal and then uh-huh. oh she slammed the door and then it's back to normal so yeah it's not yeah. like super super scary that being said i think the pacing is a little slow like miles said but mm-hmm. i also kind of enjoy that mm-hmm. if you kind of view this more almost as a drama than a horror but yeah. um yeah i think the sound design is great i like how it, there's a lot of moments of silence um and you're just very much like what is gonna happen next mm-hmm. and i think uh dick smith fucking killed it yeah good time cool Nice. Cool. What would you rate it? I'm going to give this 8.5 
sudden gunshots to scare actors out of 10 mm, um, mm, for mm. everything that I said. I think it's a solid movie. I think the fact, like everything that it did for horror, I think is very impressive. I love how violent the reactions in the audience were. I find it very silly because I think like we've all said, we don't really find it particularly scary. So, no. yeah. Nice. Stefan? I'm going to give this movie also, well, I'm going to get an 8.2 only because I want to acknowledge um, Friedkin's not so desirable directing, but also I do just like this movie. I'm going to get 8.2, I don't know, toes. Toes. Toesy woesies. Being cut off? Yep. All right. Uh, mine's going to be a little bit different from your guys'. Well, that's fine. I'm giving this movie a five spinal taps out of 10. Damn. I just think it it was okay. Yeah. It was too slow in some parts it you know my my 2023 <laughs> sensibilities aren't stressing too much about pea soup vomit and mm. chapped as fuck lips oh those lips were chapped and i don't know I don't like, I don't like scary movies to begin with i don't think this one was scary but no it was just meh meh uh Actually, I'm going to change the 8.2 Widow's Peaks out of 10. Max von Sydow had the the Widow's Peak. that He's, he's got like, husband went away at sea nine years ago, and I <laughs> wait up for him every night kind of Widow's Peak. Wild. Nice. All right, that's it. Well, that concludes our episode, but... You know where to find us. Miles, what's yes. our next episode going to be? Well, I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to do. But then we had... A wonderful interaction uh, with a fan. I'm sorry if I butcher your name. <laughs> Rafi Burgos. Uh, he was like, hey, man, when are you going to do another Star Wars movie? And you know what? You're right. It's been too long. It was the first one that I had ever done. Uh, yeah, episode numero dos. Yeah, the audio was ass. <laughs> it's time. Ooh. Let's come back for round two. We're doing Star Wars Episode 5. Attack of the Clones. (laughs) Yeah. Empire Strikes Back. There's going to be Han Solo. Uh Uh-huh. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Starkiller. Boba Fett. Is Boba Fett in this one? Boba Fett. Yes, Boba Fett is in this one. And Lando Calrissian. Barth Mater. Barth Mater is in it. Barth Mater. He um, pissed in his what? <laughs> uh, Babu Frick is in the background. Oh, my favorite. They have Grogu. <laughs> they do have Grogu. And Galarpo Shitto. <laughs> they have oh, Galarpo. The gang's all here. <laughs> all right. We'll uh, stick around in a couple of weeks for that episode. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter. And honestly, just mostly Instagram at the Takes It Took. If you have any suggestions for future episodes you'd like us to do, you can hit us up at thetakesittook at gmail.com. But until then, stay safe, have fun, watch movies, and um, don't play Ouija boards with anybody named mm-hmm. Captain Howdy. Got it? Howdy. Howdy. I'm Howdy. now Bye. going to send us out with a <laughs> no. Latin prayer. No. me. Interarimo da pare dorime. Animo, animo. Alright, bye. 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 I hate Jesus all of you. Christ. Now that the mic is off and no one can hear this, I hate your.
guts. I just watched the Spinal Tap. That shit was fine.